0: We're continuing our study of the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. We're going to talk about the topic of work. And I got to tell you, I, I love to work. I didn't always like to work. When I was a kid, I didn't like to work. I liked to play. I was really committed to play, actually. Typical day for me was get home from school, drop off, drop off my books, and then go play. And play as long as I possibly could. Normally, I would go down the hill to my friend's house, Rusty Curry. And we would play whatever sport was in season at that particular time. And we would play and we would play and we would play and we would play. And if I didn't have a friend around like Rusty, then I would go play by myself. I would go into our garage and I would shoot hockey pucks against my dad's, uh, against his bench until it was completely destroyed and ripped up. Or I would take our ping pong table and I would set it up and I would just, you know, do a little forest Gump by myself, right? Or I'd go outside, I'd throw a ball on the roof and I'd let it roll down and I'd catch it and I would play and I'd play and I'd play. And then the worst part of the day was when mom said, play is over, right? It was terrible if she called me in for dinner. It was a tragedy if she called me in because I needed to work, Right? Work bad, play good. But now I I really like to work. But most Americans don't like to work. In fact, there was a study recently, uh, and they asked people their attitude toward work. And 52% of Americans described themselves as disengaged from work, meaning they were just going through the motions of work. Another nearly 20% describe themselves as actively disengaged. <laughs> I mean, they hated work, they hated their coworkers, they hated their boss. So you're looking at 70% plus of Americans don't like work at all. They look at work as a necessary evil, work is a curse. So I ask you this morning from a biblical perspective, is work a blessing or is it a curse? From a biblical perspective, work is actually A blessing. It's a blessing that can feel like a curse, but it is a blessing. And so what I'd like to do this morning is we're going to start in Genesis and we're going to work our way to the book of Ecclesiastes. But I want to begin by turning back to Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to read with me the first three verses. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. A summary of creation says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and which God had made. Uh, You could title Genesis chapter 1, In the Beginning God Worked. Right? Because there are actually five verbs that describe the work of God, and together they're used 15 times. In the beginning, God worked. And God worked... And then God celebrated. Each day, God would work, he'd get to the end of the day, and he would look out at all that he had done, and he would say, this is good. What I have accomplished is good. He'd get to the end of the next day and do all of his work and stop and say, this is good. He got to the end of six days, and he took an entire day off. We're told to rest. And not to rest because God was tired, or even because... All the work that could be done was done. He stopped to rest because he was stopping to celebrate the work of his hands. God worked, and then God rested. And on that final day, toward the end of that final day, the sixth day, God reached the pinnacle of his creative activity. He created what was the best thing that he possibly could do, and that is mankind. Read with me chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every moving thing that moves on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In the beginning, God worked, and when God reached the pinnacle of his creation, he created another worker to work alongside of him. There are seven more verbs that describe the work of man. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, God worked and man worked. pinnacle of God's creation was mankind, another worker. In fact, the pinnacle of the pinnacle was Eve, right? The most beautiful thing that God had yet to create and why did God create Eve? Because Adam was pathetic and lonely? Well, that's true. That's all true, right? But Adam did have God to talk to, right? He walks in the cool of the garden. He's got God. That's a little bit of fellowship. That can't be all bad, right? The text tells us that God created Eve because Adam had this enormous task to do, and he could not do it alone, and he needed a coworker. He needed a helper. In fact, later in Scripture, God will describe himself by exactly the same term. But God will come alongside man and work with man, and Adam and Eve will work alongside one another, because in the beginning, God worked, and God made man to work. And work was, in essence, the first act of worship. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Ask for the Lord. It's an act of worship. In, in the garden, you don't see uh, praise bands and guitars coming out or drums or cymbals and they, they don't have a worship session as such. Instead, the first act of worship is work. Okay. In the beginning, God worked. And then God made a worker to work alongside God in creation, and God brought that worker companion to work alongside of him because work is worship. And notice, as Paul says, whatever you do, doesn't really matter so much what you do, but why you do it. Do you do it as an act of worship to God? I right, Read with me again chapter 1 of Genesis in verse 27. It reads, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him That is, male and female, he created them in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, it's a really complex idea. It means that you reflect and you radiate the character of God. You have personality so that you can interact with other persons, human and divine. It means that you're able to worship, and it means that you're able to work, and to work in such a way that your work becomes worship That's part of being made in the very image of God. So when you work, you are fulfilling God's design for you, his unique design for you as a creature made in his image. Great book I would recommend to you if you're interested in this topic further. It's by a man named Tom Nelson. It's called Work Matters. In it, he said this, Being made in God's image, we have been designed to work, to be fellow workers with God, To be an image bearer is to be a worker. In our work, we are to show off God's excellence, creativity, and glory to the world. We work because we bear the image of one who works, and I would argue we work because we bear the image of one who delights in work, who loves to work. In fact, if you look at the ancient Near Eastern religions, they have a very different concept of God and consequently a different concept of work itself, right? In the ancient Near Eastern religions, the gods didn't work at all, right? To be a god was not to work. In fact, the gods created men and women so they wouldn't have to work. So men and women would work for them and would bring them the fruit of their labors so that they could rest and enjoy, right? Food and drink and beauty and creativity would be given to mankind to bring and to work to man. So men and women were slaves, essentially, of the gods. So the idea was that the the highest form of human expression would be to ascend to godhood, which is you don't have to work anymore. Right. Sound familiar? Right? You get to the point where you don't have to work. In fact, the kings were often thought of as gods on earth, meaning they had no obligation to work. Pharaoh was God on earth. And so when he died, all of his wealth was accumulated and was put into a tomb with him so that he could take it into the next life so that he would not have to work. Right. That's totally contrary to the biblical concept. God is a worker. God loves to create. God loves to make. God loves to celebrate what he has made. And so when he made men and women, he made us to work and to celebrate the fruit of our labors. I want you to turn now back to the book of Ecclesiastes, or forward to Ecclesiastes, chapter 2 and verse 24. Chapter 2, verse 24. It says, There is nothing better for a man And to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Chapter 3, verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. It is the gift of God. To work and then to stop and to celebrate what we have done is the pattern that God has placed within us. Work and then rest. Not rest even because we're tired, and not rest because the job is done, but rest to stop and celebrate and reorient ourselves to understand that work is an act of worship. Work is, in fact, an act of worship. And so that's the pattern that God puts in our lives. In fact, uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, are repeated twice, right? Exodus 20 and then Deuteronomy chapter 5. But in, in each of the texts... Of the Ten Commandments, the motivation for stopping to rest is different. Next is 20. We're told, stop. Right? Sabbath means literally a cessation. Stop. Celebrate. Worship. Why? Because you've been made in the image of God. Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says stop. Worship. Celebrate. Because you're not a slave. The reason you're not a slave is because you're in the image of God. Right? And being made in the image of God, the pattern for your life should be this. Work and then celebrate that God has allowed you to create something with the fruit of your labor. In fact, uh, Buck Anderson has a great simple definition of work. It's this Work is the creative arrangement or rearrangement of ideas or material for good. Right? Work is the creative arrangement or rearrangement of ideas or materials for good. That's what God did. He took out of nothing and made something. Why? For good. And so when we work, it is a blessing from God. It's part of how we are made, but it's also our our opportunity to bless others. So first, your work blesses your family and friends. Read with me chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes and verse 7. Solomon writes, Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never stopped to ask, for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This to his vanity. It is a grievous task. Solomon despises this man who just works, and he works, and he works, and he works for no one. And he never stops to ask himself, what's the point of all this? What is the point of all this? And so he goes on shows a contrast in verse 9. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now, I, I just I feel compelled. I need to point out to you uh, this little section of scripture is not about marriage. Okay? Now, you, at, at your wedding, the pastor may have preached this as a part of your wedding ceremony. Actually, somebody may have cross-stitched something for you and you put it above the you know, door of your bedroom and you say, this is our life verse for our marriage, but I got to tell you, it's actually not about marriage. You can apply it to marriage, but it's actually about work. Notice again what he says, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. It's about work, it's about labor. It's contrasting this foolish man who doesn't labor with or for anyone to those who labor with and for those that they love. Right? That's wise working. Working with and for the blessing of those around us. And Solomon says there's a good return for that labor. That's the first blessing of work when we work with and for those we love. Second, your work blesses the needy. Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says this, In everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul quotes Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive, because Jesus was a worker. Right? When the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came into the world, he took on human flesh, how did he come? Did he come as a prince who didn't have to work? No, he came as a carpenter. Right? He came as a carpenter, one who worked. And I suspect that Jesus' tables and chairs were pretty good quality, right? Creator of the universe made good stuff. Like, no, don't go to that guy. Go to Jesus. It's amazing. His stuff lasts. I don't know. Right? Jesus came as a worker, and Paul says, so we work. Why? So that we can do good. Remember Buck's definition. I love it. Creative arrangement, rearrangement of ideas and material for good, to be a blessing, particularly be a blessing to those who are in need. When you work, and you work hard, and there's fruit of your labor, you are able to give to those who are struggling, who are suffering, who are weak. Maybe you cannot work, and you bless them. A great illustration of this, in my mind, is Joseph Joseph. All right, Joseph worked in, I would argue, a pretty challenging workplace environment. He didn't have any Christian co-workers, did he? No? I mean, obviously, because there weren't any Christians yet. But there probably weren't a lot of Yahweh worshipers in the administration of Pharaoh. And yet, Joseph used his intelligence, his skill, and the fact that he listened to the voice of God to bring blessing to the entire nation of Egypt so that they did not die when famine hit. In fact, there were nations of people around who lived and did not die because of Joseph's labor. Joseph's entire family lived and did not die because Joseph used the skill, the gifting that God had given him and the fact that he listened to the voice of God and he could see where the times were moving. And as a result, he blessed others. So your work has the opportunity to bless those who are in need. Third. Your work blesses your coworkers. Your work blesses your coworkers. Most of you work in places, I would suspect, where there are at least a few Christian coworkers. And I would suspect that even your Christian coworkers often don't have a great attitude toward work. Right? For most Americans, their favorite thing to do at work is to not work but complain. Right? Complain about work at work. Right? Complain about the job, complain about the coworkers, complain about the boss. Complain about the wages, complain about the hours, complain. That's what we like to do. We get together so we can complain. Right? So imagine you step into that environment, even with your Christian coworkers, and you begin to give them a fresh vision of work as worship. Whatever you do, do it heartily. That is from the heart. Okay? Not for praise from others, but for the Lord as an act of worship to God. Imagine the influence on your Christian co-workers when you come in and you have this totally different perspective of work and recognize it's not even so much about the task itself or whether the authority is treating me good or poorly, but that I get to offer this up as an act of worship to God. You can influence the Christians around you and bless them. You can obviously influence the non-Christians around you. As you live and you work and you act differently in front of them, you will probably have opportunities to share your faith. And I want to encourage you to look for those opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when those opportunities come, do not back away. But I also want to exhort you, if your employer is paying you to work and you're spending all of your time having Bible studies at your desk, you're stealing from your employer. Right? You're stealing. So, what I'm talking about is bringing a Christian worldview into your workplace. Right? Treating your coworkers as men and women made in the image of God. Right? Showing them honor and respect. Seeing the value that they have intrinsically in who they are as creatures in the image of God. And also the value that they can bring to the organization. Helping them grow as workers and succeed and advance. And not using them for your own advancement. Right? And as you do that... You will create an opportunity, I would argue, at some point, to share your faith about Jesus Christ. Why do you approach work so differently? Why do you not complain about the boss or disparage the coworkers? Why are you, in fact, so different? And then, rather than spending all of your time at your desk to have your Bible study and share the gospel, let's do it outside. Say, let me tell you about that after work. Come to my home for dinner, and I'll tell you why I'm different. Because it's, it's Jesus. Another good book I want to recommend to you is by Timothy Keller. It's called Every Good Endeavor. There's one quote I want to share with you. It said this, to be a Christian in business then means much more than just being honest or not sleeping with your coworkers. Although that's a good place to start, right? That's something. That's not nothing, right? Okay? It means even more than personal evangelism or holding a Bible study at the office. Rather, it means thinking out the implications of the gospel worldview and God's purposes for your whole work life and the whole organization that is under your influence, right? be a blessing. right? Be a blessing. Great illustration of this, I believe, is Daniel. Daniel worked hard. Okay? Uprooted from everything that was comfortable and familiar to him, he worked hard. He studied hard. He learned language and literature that he had really... No desire to learn when he was living in Israel, in peace and affluence. But this is where God had placed him, and it was uncomfortable circumstances, but he made the best of it so that he could be a blessing to others. So he learned the literature and the language, and he was put into positions of influence and authority, and as a result of his excellence in the workplace, he was able to bless nations. He blessed the Persian nation. He blessed the Medes. He blessed these people because he did his work with excellence. And when we work hard and when we work well, we are a blessing. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Okay? God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Right? He had to say the first part because he was a Protestant. Right? God doesn't need our good works. Meaning, no matter how many good works we do, that doesn't earn and merit the favor of God. That's the gospel. Right? Because Jesus did his work, and he did it perfectly, and he did it completely, that work is done, and we have the favor of God because of the work of Jesus, the benefit or the fruit of that labor is given to us freely, that is, the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. And we reach out and we just say, thank you. I didn't work for this. I can't boast about it. I was given eternal life as a gift. Thank you, God. Thank you. Right? God doesn't need our good works. But he goes on, he says, but our neighbor does, Right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? God doesn't need our good works. Ephesians two ten, For we are God's what? Workmanship, right? In fact, the pinnacle of God's creativity, the, the eternal, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God, made you and designed you, you are the pinnacle of the workmanship of God, created, or I would say renewed in Christ Jesus, right? The image of God being renewed in you, why? So that you can walk in these good works that God mapped out before you even existed. He knew that he would redeem you through Jesus Christ, and that because of the work of Christ, full and final and complete, there would be good works that you could do to bless others. Right? So again, it doesn't matter so much what you do, but why you do it. Hey, there are a lot of uh, sacred-sounding kind of works that you can do that really aren't holy at all. Right? The preacher can stand up and he can preach, and his motive is to make money and to get fame. Oh, that's an ugly thing. On the other hand, Jesus made tables and chairs as an act of worship. Adam and Eve gardened. Daniel administrated right, and used his talents. And all of those things were sacred. They were acts of worship. Work is a blessing. Work is a blessing from God. However, work can feel like a curse. Why is that? Read with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 17. Solomon, in one of his uh, darker moments, wrote... So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me, who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity." Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill. This to his vanity. It is a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. (laughs) Wow. That's depressing, isn't it? Solomon was having a really dark moment, but let's remember who Solomon was. Solomon was the richest man who was living on earth at that point in time. In fact, really, he he had unlimited wealth, practically speaking, because anything that he could want to purchase, he could purchase. And he had incredible accomplishments. He, He had written Psalms and Proverbs. He had written books, and he was praised for those accomplishments, And if on any given evening one of his wives didn't think he was all that great, he could just go to the next, right? And down the hallway 300 times. And then 700 concubines. And he had accomplishments in building things. And he was praised and honored throughout the world. People came and they wanted to sit at his feet, kings and queens, and listen to him. the greatest house on the block, right? Maybe the greatest house in the world at that point in time. And praise and honor from every place. His enemies, in fact, did not want to touch him. He had peace and safety and security. And yet Solomon said, work just seems like vanity to me. Why is that? We can stay in Ecclesiastes. I want to read to you from Genesis again. Chapter 3. Then to Adam God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat it, Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Remember, Genesis 1 through 2 comes before Genesis 3. That's important. Work is given as a blessing, a gift from God in Genesis 1 through 2. Work is not the curse, but work is under the curse. In fact, everything's under the curse. Everything on earth, or in Solomon's term, under the sun... It's all under the curse. So work itself is not the curse, but work is under the curse. And as a result, work is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. In fact, Solomon says, you know, there are things that are bent that just cannot be straightened. Again, quoting to you from Timothy Keller, he said, Sin runs through the heart of every worker and the culture of every enterprise. Work is not the curse, but work is under the curse. And so work begins to feel like a curse for us. Uh, How does this happen? Well, uh, let me talk to you about the progression, I think, that happens for many of us. It begins like this. We begin our work life as romantics, and I think this applies probably to a lot of your, you students right now and your perspective toward work. Uh, we begin as romantics. We expect that our work life will be perfect, right? that we will find... In the first job, or at least the second, or somewhere in our career, we'll find the, the perfect job, and it will be satisfying and fulfilling. We will love all of our coworkers. We'll like the task. We'll be satisfied with the salary and the amount of influence and authority we have, and we will change the world, right? That's what we expect from work. And then we start to work, and it doesn't always turn out like that. But, but that's where we begin. That's our expectation from work. And then we discover that, in fact, the results don't last, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 18 again. Solomon says, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Why? Because I have to leave it. I have to leave it behind to one who will come after me. And who knows? Whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. In other words, I'm going to act wisely and well and scrupulously and there will be fruit for my labor and then I'll leave it behind and the next person will probably waste it. It's gone. Or I'll work really, really hard to create something brand new only to discover it's not new. Or I'll make something that's brand new, as he says in chapter one, it only feels brand new because it's been forgotten what happened before. And what I've made that's brand new will be forgotten afterwards. Matt Morton told me a great illustration of this. When he was in high school, he had a job uh, shredding paper at a patent law firm. So he's a high school student, he'd be sent to the back periodically, and he would just shred paper, shred paper, shred paper. And he's sitting there thinking, what a meaningless existence I've come to, even in high school already, right? Shredding paper. And they said at one point, he thought, well, let me look at what I'm shredding. Pulls it out and he realizes he's shredding patents. He's, He's shredding someone's best idea through which they will gain wealth and change the world. Zzz, zzz, gone. Gone, right? Gone. We start as Romantics. And then we see some of the realities of work, and we become cynics, okay? Not realists, I would argue. Not realists who acknowledge, yeah, it's a fallen world, it's a broken world, but we can still worship through our work. No, we become cynics. We give up on this idea that work can be an act of worship to God, and instead we begin to work to not work, right? We work for the weekend. We work for vacation. We work for retirement. We work to the point where we don't have to work any longer because work is a curse. It's not a blessing. We become cynical. I want you to turn this time with me back to Genesis chapter 3. And let's look at the reality. And not cynicism, but reality. Genesis chapter 3 Verse 7, Adam and Eve have just taken of the fruit of the tree of the garden. Their eyes are open. Right? Their eyes are open. Verse 7, it says, the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves loin coverings. What does that represent? Well, uh, the greatest gift that Adam ever received was Eve. He sees her, and he's like, wow, this is awesome. It's awesome. I've been looking at all these other animals. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yes! Ah, oh, man. Now we're there, right, I've got Eve, right? And then they just take a bite of an apple. It seems like such a simple, innocuous thing, but it's rebellion against God. Because rebellion against God, marriage gets hard, right? The first thing that happens to them, the first consequence is there is fear in their relationship. They feel like they need to protect themselves from one another, Rather than intimacy, there is alienation. So marriage, this greatest gift possibly given, now becomes hard for Adam and Eve. Students, those of you who are not married yet, if you get married, and I assume that you will someday, at some point in time in your marriage, you might have a conflict. (laughs) I just want you to be forewarned, right? Marriage is hard, right? These great gifts from God become challenging. Chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. In pain, right? Now, marriage is hard, and this other great gift of having children that come from you, that's going to be hard, too. At least I'm told it's painful. (laughs) You know. Uh, It seemed painful to me, you know. But I I was doing my part. I did my part. In fact, our doctor is is here this morning, and he knows I did my part. Right? I went to class as I was told, and I learned to breathe. So, right? And I, I mean, you know, that's kind of how I am. I'm. I like to learn. I like. I've learned hard. I learned how to breathe, and I practice breathing. So. When uh, Tristy was giving birth, you know, she said, "Come on here, squeeze my hand." And so I stood beside her and I squeezed her hand and whoosh, and I breathed with her, right? And I'm working hard, and I got to tell you, I got tired and hungry. I got hungry. I so you know, because this thing had started, I don't know, man. It started in the middle of the night. We've been up forever, and I hadn't eaten anything, and I'm hungry, right? I was hungry and. My mother-in-law, she just loves me. She thinks I'm just awesome. I'm a saint. So she had come into town, and she bought me a Subway sandwich. So I just took a break, and I was standing in the corner. <laughs> I'm eating my Subway sandwich, right? And and Tristie looks over at me. And she goes, "Stop crunching, <laughs> right?" So I I set down my Subway sandwich, right? And she goes, "Take your hands out of your pockets and do something." I went know what to do all right it's hard <laughs> marriage is hard <laughs> childbirth is hard I'm told I you know it's hard right <laughs> work is hard Adam you're gonna go to work and you're gonna want to bring up the produce of the earth and instead it's just gonna cut up your hands and you're gonna have a lot of days like that that's reality right And sometimes that reality drives us to cynicism. We say, I don't see how work could possibly be worship. How could there be anything intrinsically valuable in work? Another possibility for us is this. We bow down as worshipers. It's not that we worship work itself, but we worship what we can get from work. I can get a title. I can get honor. I can get prestige. I can get a name for myself. I can get wealth that gives me security safety, the Tower of Babel, is the perfect biblical illustration of this. God says, be fruitful and multiply. Go out, spread out throughout the earth, and and worship me through your work. Right, And bring, bring the knowledge of my name everywhere. Make my name great everywhere on the earth. And the people of the Tower of Babel said, you know what we need to do? We need to come together and make a name for ourselves through our work. We have just had a breakthrough in technology. We're no longer building with stones, which are irregular. and and limit how high we can build something. We figured out how to make bricks and burn them. That's technology. Now we can build to the heavens. And when we build to the heavens, you know what's going to happen? People are going to remember our name through our work. That's worship. That's worship. When you meet someone, what's the first thing that you ask that person often? What do you do? Right? Particularly in our culture, we gain value... Through our work, through what we do. Problem is, those towers all eventually crumble. They all crumble. They're just not going to be enough. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 7. The Lord said, I will blot out the man whom I have created. Oops, I'm in Genesis. <laughs> That's not it. It's applicable, I suppose, right? Let's do Ecclesiastes instead. Chapter 6, verse 7, all a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is never satisfied. You work, and you work, and you work, and you work, but it's just never enough, right? It's just never enough, and so this is what happens to us. We remain un- unreflective. We keep working and expecting something from work that it can't give, and the meager returns that we do get from work keep us working even more, and more, and more, and more. We become slaves of our work. As Solomon says, even at night, this man cannot rest His mind just can't stop, right? And that's what he needs to do. He needs to stop and to think about work and its meaning. Catherine Alsdorf was uh, the one who wrote Timothy Keller's book with him. She said this about herself. She said, I couldn't handle the idea that it was all meaningless, so I just put my head down and I worked harder. And I suspect there are probably some of us who do exactly the same thing. And so what I want you to do, here's your application for this week. Real simple application. I just want you to stop working for a little while this week and think about work. Don't work, but think about work. Think about your attitude, your perspective on work. Is it a biblical perspective on work? And ask God to renew you and refresh your perspective on work. So four things to think about this week as work as a blessing First, God works that he made us to work, right? you got to start in Genesis with work, because in the beginning, God worked. Because God loves to work. God loves to create. That's who God is. And because you're made in his image, if you're not working, there will be something absent and missing in your life. Okay? You need to do something, whether it's in the home or outside of the home, whether it's for pay or whether it's volunteer, we need to work, right? Because we're in the image of God. Okay? That's the foundation, Second, God rested and God made us to rest. You can't go through an entire day without resting physically. God programmed the body this way so you have to stop. You know, he could have made the body differently. It it just needs to eat and drink and it can just keep going and regenerating forever. But no, that's not how God made the body. He he forced it to have to stop and rest. Why? So we'd have to stop and think about what we're doing in all of those awake hours. You were designed to stop, reflect, recalibrate, and remember that work's a blessing, and it's an act of worship to God. So, when does your day begin? When does your day begin? Some of you, you an alarm goes off at 6, maybe 7. Some of you don't need an alarm at all. 4 o'clock, you're up because your mind doesn't rest anyway, right? But your day begins when you start to work, right? even if you've shifted to a night schedule. Your day begins when you work. In the Hebrew mindset, the day actually began at night, right? Genesis 1. There was evening, there was morning. First day. It doesn't say there's morning and evening. That's how we orient ourselves with time. In the Hebrew mindset, there was evening, there was morning, because the day began when mankind went to sleep and God was working. So all the time that man is sleeping, God is working. So when man wakes up, God's been working, and mankind is entering into the work that God has already started, right? And man can rest at night knowing God's not sleeping, God's working. That's what allows us to rest. And if we can't rest, it's because we really don't trust that God's at work. It all depends upon us, right? That's why we go and go and go and go and go, right? So, God rested, not because he was tired, not because the job was done, but to stop and to celebrate fruit of his labor. And God has programmed us, if we're going to really live well, we need to follow that same cycle. Now third, the fall made work and rest less than perfectly fulfilling. That's not cynicism, that's reality, and we need to learn to live with it and embrace it. Okay? Take work as it is. You will never find the perfect job. And that's okay. That's just, just reality. It's good if, as you're moving through your vocational career, you're moving more and more toward things that you're gifted at, talented at, that really motivate you. That's a good thing. Students, that first job, it's, it's not going to be the perfect job. It's just, it's not. And that's okay, because we live in a broken and fallen world. And yet, you can still make any job into an act of worship. You know, I, I, uh, I stopped a few years ago. Uh, I was taking my trash out, and I stopped our trash collector He's, just, he's a big, burly guy, long, he's got like ZZ Top beard coming down, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy, always cheerful, I just stopped, met him, you know, introduced myself, whatever, and through the years we've gotten to know each other and talked, and at one point in time I was just asking him about his job itself, he said, well, you know, I've worked at a lot of different jobs, you know, I was a plumber, I was an electrician, I did construction, I used to build houses, I did all this stuff, he said, you know what, but I've found my calling. <laughs> I go, well, unpack that for me a little bit, Right. Because I, I would say your job stinks. <laughs> but he goes, you know, this is my calling. I, I'm, I'm blessing others, and literally, I mean, the man is a blessing in his attitude. I have never seen him angry, grumpy. There have been times when dogs have gotten into my trash, shredded it, it's gone everywhere, and I've, I've walked out, and he's picking it up off the ground. He didn't need to do any of that, right? Any work can be an act of worship. Any work. And then fourth and finally, work and rest will be fulfilling forever in the kingdom. It will be. The kingdom is not your own personal cloud sitting on a harp. I mean, sitting on a cloud with a harp playing. I mean, that's not not heaven. What a horrible idea. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, that'd be brutal. (laughs) What is eternity? What's it like? Well, it's described in Revelation. This beautiful city that God has created, civilization, right? God has created order. It's called New Jerusalem. In fact, we're told right now Jesus is preparing rooms in that beautiful city. The work of God, handiwork of God, comes down to a new earth, a restored earth that is no longer under the curse. No, it's not thorns and thistles any longer. And then those who dwell on the earth, what do they do? They work... And they bring the fruit of their labor into the city as an act of worship to God. There's work, and work is an act of worship, and it's not thorns and thistles. So what eternity is, is you having a job, having a task, or many tasks, that are exactly what you were designed to do. Right? They just fit your gifting, your talents, your personalities, your passion, and you get to use those directly as an act of worship to God forever. Now, that isn't on this earth, but every once in a while we get a little glimpse of that depending upon our own attitude toward work. And so, what I want you to work on this week is thinking about how you think about work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're here this morning because Jesus did his work. And he didn't stop short and he didn't do it halfway, he did it perfectly, he did it fully. And because his work on the cross was complete, you said, well done, well done, well done. You accepted the fruit of his labor on our behalf so that we could have the debt of our sin removed and have eternal life. And so we can rest in that today. And we work not because we need to earn your favor. We work because we have your favor. And our work can be a blessing to you It's an act of worship. It can be a blessing to others. And I pray, Father, you would refresh and restore our attitude toward work this week. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you, and Blake will be back next week.